Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. Thanks for joining me on another week of Mind Your Own Karma. I have a special guest today. She is an adoptee, and she contacted me as a fan of Mind Your Own Karma, and I talked her into coming on the show and telling her story. Let me tell you a little bit about Christine Famous. Christine is a mother of three and a grandmother of seven. She was born and adopted in Florida and grew up with a younger brother who was also adopted. She works in the medical field and loves showing empathy and caring to her patients. I hope you're ready to enjoy Christine's story. Christine, welcome to the show. Hey there, how are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you're coming on today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to jump right in and um, let's start with what you know about the circumstances of your adoption. Okay. Um, Well, I was born in Florida and adopted by a couple in Florida, but my birth mother and all the rest of my birth family is in Maine. So uh, as far as what I can gather, um, my birth mother and father were having an affair. He was married and um, for whatever reason she doesn't want to share with me, um, she was going to give away the baby. So I don't know how she ended up going all the way to Florida, but she did. And um, I was adopted by a couple in their early 30s who gave me a great last name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) Um, My adoptive father did not want children. He's very blunt about that. Um, He ended his first marriage because the woman that he was married to wanted children and he did not. So I don't know what my adopted mother did to make him change his mind, but they ended up adopting two kids. I was the first one. And then five years later, they adopted my little brother, Curtis. Okay. So somehow she talked him into adopting kids (laughs) so they couldn't have kids or did they just want to adopt? Um, She couldn't have kids. Okay. But she definitely wanted kids. And I don't know whether they discussed it before their marriage or not, but um, they were married for about three years before they adopted me. Okay. So what was it like growing up in your adoptive family then? What were the dynamics of that? Um, it was not very pleasant. I don't have any kind of memories about, uh, I wasn't physically abused. My parents barely spanked me. Um, my adoptive father never spanked me but um my adoptive mother was very adamant that I do things the way she wanted them so she would you know give her ideas her views her opinions on life were uh the way I should be you know like she had a little doll that she was gonna mold or whatever I don't know what she expected adopting a baby would be but I guess she thought she was going to get a little doll that would grow up just like her and like all the things that she liked and want to do all the things that she wanted it do. Cause she specifically, they picked us out because I had brown hair and brown eyes just like her. 
Mm. And then when they adopted my little brother, they picked out a little boy that had blonde hair and blue eyes like my adopted dad. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like your mom was the one that was hands-on and was your dad like not really hands-on with you guys as kids? No, he wasn't. We did a lot of activities, but we did the activities that they wanted to do as adults. My parents always had boats. And so on the weekends, we would go out on the boat. We would stay for the whole weekend, cruising up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And I mean, we got to go swimming and we had our own little rubber Zodiac boat. We could take that and, you know, go off on our own. But and I played sports and all that kind of stuff. But my parents had a a lot of money, a lot of money. And uh, it wasn't like share the wealth, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, if you do chores, we'll give you X amount and that kind of stuff. Um, It wasn't like that. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was very much when I learned the term in the fog, was like, that is so literal. It is so accurate and so literal because I can remember like snapshots of my childhood, but it's just like little bits and pieces here and there. And then I had a lot of surgery on my head too. So I don't know if my memory oddities are from that or from adoption trauma or both, but it was just, Hmm. it literally was like the whole first half of my life was in a fog. It's, I really can't describe it. When did you like, you don't have any memory problems now? It was just. Oh, no, I definitely have memory problems. I can't remember what color underwear I put on today. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) as far as remembering back, I don't remember a whole lot of my childhood. I remember mostly things that were either extremely, extremely happy or extremely bad. Do you want to share any of those? Well, I mean, I I remember. What do I remember? (laughs) I remember always, you know, my parents have family and we would always go see the family. I remember my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, very vividly because she lived until I was 22. And she was very hands on with me. In the summertime, I would go up to Baltimore and stay with her for a week or two before my parents came up. And um, my cousin, who's a year older than me, he lived up there. It was my uncle's son. And his parents got divorced when he was like seven. So he stayed with my grandmother a lot of the time while she kept him when he got out of school and stuff. So we would go up there and hang around a lot. And um, I think that's why I love Baltimore so much because that's where all my, if I had to put a finger on happy memories, that would be where they all originated from. Hmm. Is that your mom's mom or dad's mom? My mom's mom. Yeah. My dad's mom passed away when I was five. Hmm. And um, I mean, it's like, I kind of remember things, but it's mostly what people told me happened, you know? Yeah, I remember sitting on the sink in the kitchen because my dad's mom, she like very old fashioned every day. She was baking biscuits and bread and all that. And I remember sitting on the sink on the countertop, you know, flowers everywhere, helping her make biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sounds like you had some good memories though, too. Yeah. And my, my mother's mother, she always took us to ocean city to the beach every summer. Um, and she would come down to our house in the wintertime and stay for two or three months because she loved swimming. And so she would come down and stay and I'll just always take me swimming. I love swimming too. Yeah. So looking back, how do you see adoption affecting you as a child or a teen now that you're looking back? As a child, I can't say too much because, you know, I went along with that whole party line. Your mom couldn't give you a good life, so she wanted you to have what she couldn't give you, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, my parents, you know, I was able to play sports. I did ballet and they had boats. I had my own boat for a while. So as a child, it didn't seem like adoption was too much of a bad thing. But when I was like 12 or 13, my adoptive father did tell me that he didn't want kids, that he didn't want to specifically told me that he did not want to adopt us. So that was kind of like right between adolescence and starting to like boys and all that kind of stuff. And so that just kind of threw me for a loop because all the things that I enjoyed doing before that time, I put all those to the side and started focusing on finding somebody that wanted me. Mm. And when my adoptive mother had the birds and the bees talk with me, (laughs) she made it very plain to me that sex and love were all one thing and that they were between a husband and a wife, a mommy and a daddy. And that was love. And it was all tied up in one nice, neat little package. So that's what I was looking for now. Right. So how did that conversation go with your dad? Like, how did that even come up that he would say that? Um, He was giving me a ride home from school one day. And we stopped at Hardy's to have a snack before dinner because dinner time in our house was 8.30 if we were lucky, really late. So we stopped to get something to eat. And I don't remember how it came up, but I just remember that I was sitting in that Hardy's on East Ocean Boulevard. And that's where he told me that he didn't want us or he initially had not wanted us. So it Did you say anything to him or like, were you in shock? I can't remember. Yeah. I I really just remember that. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, you could just draw a line in the sand where my life completely became different. Mm. I mean, I just was smoking weed all the time, every single day. And, you know, um, boy to boy to boy to boy to boy just always trying to find a boyfriend because I always wanted I felt like I had to be in that nice neat little relationship package that my adopted mother described to me because that's how you get somebody to love you <laughs> you know mm. so yeah unfortunately <laughs> yeah Um. so after your dad said that you started seeing boys and smoking weed it was after that yes Yeah. Yes. Up until that point, I was still like going to pool parties and running around with my best friend down by the river and riding horses and all that kind of stuff. And it was just all that stuff just gone. At that point, did you ever think about your birth mom and did you ever feel that abandonment yet? No, 
I didn't really feel abandonment. I just felt like I used to always say, if anybody asked me if I wanted to look for my birth mother, I would always say, I would be interested in writing her a letter just to let her know how I turned out and let her know that, you know, she made the right choice and I had a good life and I, you know, I never went hungry and all that kind of stuff. I always had a place to live and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I really, like I said, was just following the adoption party line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you hadn't even made that correlation about your birth mom yet. And then your, your adoptive dad says that to you. Yeah. And then, yeah, things kind of start going sideways. So, um, how, as an adult, did you see that same scenario just keep playing out? Well, I got out of their house as quick as I could. I found somebody that was dumb enough to uh, get me pregnant so that I could get married and get out of their house (laughs) when I was 17. And again, going back to that, you know, nice, neat little package that was told to me that that's the way to go. That's what I was aiming for. And that's not the way it worked out because the person that I married was completely in another culture, in another financial setting, you know, just everything was different. And it wasn't going to be, you know, this neat little package where I cooked breakfast, lunch and dinner and cleaned the house and had the baby and you were going to go out and bring home the bacon. It didn't work out that way. But that was what I was taught that life was. And yeah, I was very naive. So yeah. Did you ever, do you ever remember being told that you were adopted when you were a kid or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, my mother made up this little bedtime story. And so she told me, I forgot, I meant to tell you that earlier. (laughs) She told me that before we even knew what she was talking about, she would tell us this little bedtime story when we were going to sleep Mm. about how the mommy and the daddy couldn't have a baby And so they went to the adoption agency to see Mrs. Brown and, you know, Mrs. Brown showed them this beautiful little baby and And, you know, and I was just thinking about this the other day. One of the things that was in the little story that I always remember her being so adamant about was when we walked into the room and saw you laying in your bassinet, you just set your eyes on your dad and you just would not take your eyes off of him. You just loved him, loved him. And I think about that now. And I think about, was she saying that because, because she knew that he wasn't like hundred percent on board or I don't know. For his benefit, maybe. Yeah. To make it seem like, Oh, look at this baby. She loves you already, Chuck. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So going back to adulthood, I know you were telling me previously about your last relationship and how you saw some things that maybe correlated to adoption in that relationship. Yes. Um, I've always had problems. I don't know if you'd call them attachment issues, but I had problems feeling, you know, like my ex-husband We were together a long time and he was my first boyfriend in high school, but he always told me how much he loved me, blah, blah, blah. And I may not say I love you too, but 
I, w- I wasn't like feeling it. You can hear something and you can know that somebody means it, but that doesn't mean you feel it. Mm-hmm. So the last relationship I had was about eight and a half years. And um, with that person, that's like the only time that I've ever felt <clears throat> felt it in my life, that I felt love. I felt somebody loving me and I felt myself loving them. But um, I grew up uh, being a great liar. And um, I just, I I can't remember a time when I did not lie. Um, I've heard and read that that's a very defensive measure, protective measure that we use to uh, keep ourselves safe. And like I said, not remembering a whole lot of my childhood, I I don't know if I didn't feel safe, mm. but it's possible that I didn't. So I did a lot of lying and I felt like I always had to have a safety net, a backup, which would be in the guise of a friend. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I... I that's something that I've always needed because, you know, um, my birth mother gave me up and then my adoptive father didn't really want me, even though I grew up thinking he did. And then, you know, boys, boyfriends, nothing was permanent, you know, mm-hmm. nothing was permanent. So that backup solution always had to be there because if I don't, then I don't have somebody that wants me. You think that was you or them? Me, me. Yeah. And I mean, just like in any relationship, he was not perfect. He had issues too, but I was the one who would have taken my lies to the grave. Mm. And um, in the last year and a half or two years, as I started stepping out of the fog, I started looking at all that and acknowledging that. And I did spend a few months talking with him after a year and a half of no contact and tried to come clean, tried to discuss the issues that I'm going through and that I went through and that I put him through. And um, it just wasn't, there was no resolution that we could get out of it. So, mm. but um, it's a life lesson. It's, it's a life yeah. lesson. Um, you know, I wish there was like a magic age, like, Oh, when you turn 28, you're going to come out of the fog <laughs> because, yeah. you know, that's a long time to 50 years is a long time to be living in denial and, not facing reality and not facing your fears and your hurts. Yeah. Um, And I know that you had talked about um, collateral damage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wish there was only 28 years of collateral damage instead of 50, but it's okay because the more I step out and the more things clear and the more I examine things, um, turn them over, look at them, hold them, you know, pull them apart, then the more positive my outlook becomes. 
Yeah, that's so true. I mean, at least you come out of the fog at 50 and you weren't in there any longer than that, right? <laughs> no. It seems like the, the the normal age that people start coming out of the fog is around 40 and 50 when you have what they call the midlife crisis, but I like to call it the midlife awakening. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard a few episodes where, you know, there were people who were in their 20s, mm-hmm. 20, 23, 28, maybe early 30s. And I've always tried to never have regrets. But that's like one thing that I really, really wish that would have hit me a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think just having these conversations and getting our stories out there is going to help people come out of the fog quicker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you um, search for your biological family? Um, I wanted to search for my biological mother when I was in my 30s. Um, I contacted Children's Home Society, which is the agency that I was adopted through, and their search fees were like astronomical to me. Um, $500 or $600 for the first three hours of searching, and then wow. an additional $150 for every hour after that. And of course, 1971. Yeah. Who knows where that box was? Dang. So that was back then. That's what they were charging. Well, this was in the 2000s. Oh, in the 2000s. Yeah. But thing was on computer. It was all in boxes yeah. and stuff. So I could just imagine stuff sitting in a basement somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I, what I did was I kept my contact information up to date with them just in case she came looking for me. I went, a, there was a couple internet sites and stuff that I put my name and my thing on, but I never really got any hits Mm. um, until I was 42. And when I was 42, I came home real late one night. I had been out of town and I took my mail out of my mailbox and I saw the letter and I knew right away what it was because they had no other reason to contact me. Um, from Children's Home Society. Mm. So I didn't even make it into my apartment. I sat on the steps. <laughs> <laughs> right. And up. opened up the, because I'd been waiting and waiting for this, you know. And really, it was only 10 years ago, now that I think about it. But so my birth mother and I were in contact. They let me know that she wanted to talk to me. So I had to provide an email address. And then... um we were allowed to email each other for a while until we were able to exchange personal contact information. So we were in reunion for a few years and uh, she refused to tell me, she told me that I had six siblings. Wow. Um, My biological father had passed away about eight years before she contacted me. Mm. But, um, I had six siblings, four from his first marriage and two from his third marriage. And um, I was very, very excited at that. But that was it. She snapped that shut so quick. She didn't want to tell me the name. Um, She told me that all of this and everybody was located in Massachusetts, not Maine. Um, I guess to throw me off because... 
she was a paralegal all her life. And I, you know, I asked her several times to please give me their name and she refused. So, um, after about three years of, you know, talking to each other and we did meet once in person, she cut me off because I told her that I was going to go ahead and search on my own. Wow. And she called me evil and all kinds of stuff. Um, so that was it. Did she tell you who your father was? No, she would give no identifying information. As a matter of fact, from the time she gave me up, she put on my non-identifying sheet that I was Italian, that he, that his family was all first generation Italian and they're not, they're all Irish. I'm <laughs> Irish and English. <laughs> but what was her reason for contacting you? If she wasn't going to give you any information or. I don't know. She, we met for lunch one time. She drove down and she, we, my daughter and I were living in Baltimore at the time, my oldest daughter and my oldest daughter and my grandson, we went and had lunch with her down at the Harbor. And, um, she shook my hand. (laughs) It was very weird. It was not like on TV. No, I was going to (laughs) say, wasn't the Disneyland. Yeah. Right, like on Oprah, where they're running across the stage. Yeah. Oh my God, Mom! <laughs> no, oh God. Um, she shook my hand. She sat across from me in the booth. She did allow my daughter to take a few pictures of her, but she didn't want to take any pictures of the two of us. It's weird. I can't figure out why she even wanted to contact you. I feel like she wanted to assuage whatever guilt Mm. she might have had lingering guilt or whatever i don't know i don't know why she i don't know why she bothered either maybe she told me that she had three sisters and that i had a bunch of cousins and stuff but again no names no location so nobody still nobody knew about you still well they did know about me oh they did they knew about me all along she told them, she told her sisters and my cousins that she had contacted me and I wanted nothing to do with her or any of them. Wow. Now, how did you find that out? Well, um, about, I'd say about four years ago, my oldest daughter did Ancestry.com. And I had already done 23andMe, but I didn't really get any hits. There were a couple people that were like second cousins, but... Mm-hmm. They actually were my first cousins, but you know how the ancestry things come back. Yeah. So she got her results and she was so excited. She said, mom, mom, I I have all these people on my family thing and their name is Bailey. And I thought that it was her aunt's relatives. Her aunt was married to a guy named, last name was Bailey, and they all were from Jamaica. And I thought that was all them. Mm. Nope. She said they're white people. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they were the two people were my brothers. And she had jumped right into a group chat with them and brought me in on the group chat. And now all of a sudden I'm talking to two of my brothers. That's crazy. (laughs) How did that go? It it went well. Um, The two brothers were Dale and Bob and Bob is the oldest one. And 
Bob is the one that has been the most embracing. Also, my younger sister, Delta, um, I met her and I met Bob, both of them last summer. Mm. And um, so there are three others. My youngest sister passed away. She was in an accident when she was 14. Mm. So her, her name was Shauna. So there's four others that I haven't met yet. Um, three, four, something like that. There's a lot of <laughs> floating around. Are you in contact? Um, well, the, the one brother, Dale, we, we message each other every once in a while. We're friends on Facebook and that kind of stuff. Um, there's a family reunion every year in August and I'm going up for that. I missed it last year cause I went, I was there the weekend before now this year I'm going without four grandkids in tow. I'm going by myself. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> but it was just, you know, I my brother gave me his address. They knew I was coming. They knew I was bringing four little kids. And it was just like they'd known me their whole life. There was just no question about, you know, oh, well, your, your mom was having there with our dad blah 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 you know we're all adults and yeah. you know maybe maybe for some of them that would be an issue I was thinking yesterday when I was out for a ride what it would have been like if I had grown up there and you know we were all kids then they might have hated me made fun of me beat me up picked on me because we probably would have went to the same school and everything oh wow yeah are you the oldest or no there are four it's um bob Rhonda, ray and dale they're older than me and then delta and shauna are younger than me so i'm like right in the middle there so he had an affair with your mom during that first marriage were the four kids during the first second and third marriages with your mom through all of those? Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Because my younger sister's mom told me that her older sister, who was the first wife <laughs> and the second wife, would go to my mother's house to see if he was there, to see if the car was there. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's That's very funny. Jerry Springer esque. But you were their only child together? As far as I know, I'm as far as I know, she's never had any other children. She never got married. Okay. So um, you were her only child and all these other um, brothers and sisters are from your dad. Yes. Yes. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's just even, even my aunt, who is my younger sister's mom has, you know, made me feel very welcome. You know, she told me, she said, you are kids. Even though you're adults now, you were kids. Yeah. You had no hand in what he was doing, what they were doing. You know, she said, you guys, it's it's no reflection on any of you all. So yeah. don't ever feel like, you know, and I did I felt that way for a long time because um, when I found out that my birth mother had gone to Florida to give me up to go back up there and keep carrying on with him. Uh, kind of made me feel even more like shit. But. Right. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Um, yeah. 
So did your adoptive family, were they, was your mom and dad alive when that letter came? How did they react to the reunion if they were? Um, I was living in, well, yeah, we were all living in Baltimore. I was living in a separate place, but um, they knew about it. They said they didn't care. I mean, they were, I guess they were happy for me. They didn't really say either way. They've never really been, they have, they're opinionated, but it's their own opinions. They don't care really what's going on with. So they didn't really have a preference of you like not finding anyone or oh no, giving you that vibe. No, they never gave me that vibe at all. Um, it never seemed like it was secretive or that it was something shameful or that I shouldn't do it. They never, you know, disciplined me or or talked down to me when I talked about wanting to even contact her when I was younger. Yeah. So did you have a good relationship with your adoptive brother? Um, no, no. Um, I was so angry all the time. It didn't matter what I was doing. It didn't matter if I was playing softball or if I was at my friend's house. I just always had this simmering, low down, hush hush anger. And I used to beat the crap out of my brother for no reason whatsoever <laughs> until he got big enough to <laughs> beat me back. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've talked to my daughter about, my oldest daughter about this too, because I know that when my oldest daughter was a baby, she would get upset. I mean, kids get upset. They get upset. They cry, whatever. I would just lose my mind yelling and cursing at her, you know, two years old, you know, shut the fuck up. I don't know. Just where did you think this came from? The anger? I'm assuming now that it's because she was a little kid. And I think that when I looked at her, that I was looking at me. And I think that when I looked at my little brother, I was looking at me. Hmm. I don't know. That's something that I need to go further with because I am in the process of getting myself back into therapy. I did work with an adoptee therapist. How's that been? A couple years ago. A good experience? That was great. Oh, good. Yes. It was because that was right when I first started coming out of the fog and um, she gave me a lot of tips on, you know, when we, when we start realizing that we have pains and traumas and stuff that we need to take care of, um, it can be so overwhelming and it's, you know, in the last year, that I wasn't in therapy, it was very overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was not thinking of a lot of the tips and the tricks that she had given me, the tools that she had given me to deal with things, to prioritize things and to piece them out. You know, one of the things that she told me was, you know, you have to pick a time Not a time when you're sad, not a time when you're down in the dumps, uh, not in the time when you're weepy, but a time when you're feeling strong, 
when you're feeling happy, you're feeling on top of things, you need to grab a pen and a pad and you need to write down everything that you can think of that is a hurt to you that you feel like you need to deal with. Because once you have those things separated, they can't gang up on you anymore. Mm. Like my grandmother, she's like the most famous for old saying. She had old saying for everything. (laughs) And, and I do that too. I love all kinds of old, weird, quirky saying. And my favorite saying is you can't see the forest for the trees. I think that that is just goes hand in hand with this tool for separating these problems out. Because if we feel depressed, if we're feeling like we want to drink or we want to smoke or we want to chase after somebody to, so they can make us feel loved, you get yourself wallowing in all that stuff. Yeah. And when you're wallowing in all that stuff, it can gang up on you. But it only takes three or four steps. Sometimes there are steps backward. Sometimes there are steps forward. Sometimes they're just moving to the side a little bit. But all that stuff, you get into the forest and the trees are all around you. The sunlight can't shine in and it's dark and it's dank and everything is just there. And if you can just take just a few steps and step outside of the forest, it just changes your whole perspective. Yeah. A forest might be pretty big. It might go for miles. Yeah. But you can see that it has a beginning and somewhere there's an end. Mm-hmm. You can see that it's dark in there, but the sun is still shining. You can see things in a different way, in a different light, from a different view. And it just makes it so much easier to say, you know what, I'm going to do this in six weeks. And get yourself a calendar. Number one, number two, number three, four, five, six. And each week, just concentrate on that one issue because that's what works for me. Yeah. And um, since the last time you and I spoke, um, that tool that was given to me came back to me. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about it one day. And because, like I said, the last year I had the breakup and, you know, possible reconciliation. That's not going to happen. OK, I have to move on. But um, that's something that I, you know, I gained 30 pounds. I was drinking every single day and I had to get my perspective back. I had to step out of the forest and count the trees and put them in order. And now I have to start tackling them. I heard a good analogy the other day. Um, Like when you take off in a plane and it's um, stormy and the clouds are all black and dark and you break through those clouds and there's still the sun and the blue sky above those clouds. But you couldn't see it, but it was always there. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that analogy the other day. I was like, that's a really good one. Cause the, you know, yeah. you're, you're still there. You, your essence, your authenticity, who you really are is still in there. But you sometimes, like you said, the trees are in the way you can't see. You can't figure out where, what's the navigation system trying to tell you where are you supposed to go? <laughs> you know, but unless you start walking. Yeah. 
unless you start doing something, then you're really not going to get through those trees. So, right. And I, I'm not going to say that that will work for everybody. And I've had my own struggles with drinking and all that kind of stuff. And I have considered suicide earlier in my life, but I, I hope that somebody else could use that tool to just kind of put things in their place because it's so hard if you, that pain that I have, whatever that pain is, whatever that anger is still in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's ever going to go away, you know, and I, I've come close to opening up the lid of the box a few times on it. And I know that it's going to be total shit show when I open it up. Yeah. But knowing that I have this tool and knowing that I can take these things and deal with them one by one that I don't have to, I don't have to jump into them and then end up drowning in the quicksand of it. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own combination. I think it's very, a very personal thing, you know? Yeah. And that's, what's great about all these people that I interview. It seems like everybody has their little twists that they bring in like that little thing that maybe like you said, could help somebody else. So that was, that's really good. Yeah. So did something bring you out of the fog? What, what happened? Um, I just felt like I was waking up to maybe it was the breakup or it it could have been, it could have been, um, it was the breakup, losing that, losing, you know, what I feel like was my only true love. I don't know all my life or after I moved out of my parents' house, every time I would see my adoptive mother, she would say to me, no matter what, we were having lunch, we were taking the baby to the doctor, we were going grocery shopping. Every single time she saw me, the first thing she would do was comment on my hair, on how beautiful my hair is, and why do you do that to your hair? Why do you always put this in it, put that in it, and why do you always chop it off? It's so beautiful and thick. Da 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 da. And um, forgot what I was gonna say. That's okay. <laughs> oh, we're talking about the fog and maybe what triggered that. And I said about your relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. The last three or four years, my adopted parents were living with me. They are in their mid eighties and it has come to pass that they now don't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> oh, wow. Bad money management. On my dad's part, I mm-hmm. guess, he didn't put away for their future. So no more yachts, no more cars, no more house, nothing. Um, wow. So they ended up coming to live with me in my apartment. And uh, I don't have a TV. I haven't had a TV in about 12 years. So I do a lot of reading. I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, I have an apartment, but I'm mostly in my room. When they moved in with me, the TV's on 24-7 because they did bring a TV. They brought two, as a matter of fact. My dad sleeps in the living room in the recliner, so there's always someone there. They took Mm -hmm. over the kitchen. They took over the dining area. So now I'm, like, in my room. I'm 
living in my room. Yeah. So we were in that apartment for a year and a half. And then we moved into a two bedroom, two bath. So I had the master bedroom. But again, you know, I'm in the bedroom and I have my own bathroom. But other than to come out and to cook some food or to wash my clothes, I have no living space. And um, all of the things that I had already, all the things that I knew, but never really affected me all of a sudden were affecting me. Mm. And maybe that maybe the breakup does have a lot to do with it. But I think that it was just that they were so in my face now. And in my space. Yeah, I had no choice but to interact with them every single day. And it got to the point where my mother's I just didn't even want her to talk to me. I didn't want her to say hi to me, nothing, because her voice was just like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, it's all that repressed, the repressed feelings and things that you want to say. Well, And the thing is, with them, I've tried talking to them over the years. I've tried talking to them even before I came out of the fog. I tried talking to my dad about what he said about, um, you know, about not wanting kids. And he'd oh, I don't remember saying that, blah, blah, blah. And my mother would chime in. He never would have said anything like that. Well, yes, he, yes, he did. And, you know, now you're just backing him up. So it was like, whenever I would try to address it or try to talk to them as adults, they would just shut me down. I'm, I'm, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. Mm. Whole lot of gaslighting. Um, yeah. You know, maybe when I was a kid, maybe my perceptions were a little altered because I was in the fog. But now I'm 51 years old and I'm not in the fog and I know what happened and I know what's going on in my life and I know what you guys did. And now you won't even talk about it to me. So, yeah, just I, I had to remove myself from that situation. But if I have to say one thing that would do that would have triggered me waking up, it would have been just that being faced with the reality that they tried to make me live and then trying to not necessarily throw it back in their face, but to confront them about it and getting shut down, getting a brick wall. Yeah. It's kind of hard to talk to a brick wall. (laughs) You know, I felt like I was, doing them a favor. I didn't feel like um, I owed it to them to let them live with me. And they certainly weren't living with me for free, but I did feel that, okay, well, if we're going to share this space together, then there are some things that we need to um, at least give me the respect to, you know, let air this stuff out with me. So did they move out on their own? No, I, I moved. I left. I left. I left. Um, oh, you left. Actually, um, the landlord came to us and this was two years ago, or a year and a half ago when all this real estate stuff started going crazy and they were offering him ridiculous sums of money for a little mobile home, <laughs> which he never saw. But um, he told us that he had somebody was offering him a hundred thousand dollars and we had to find a place to live. And I said, well, when should we start looking? And he said, right now. So I applied wow. for jobs with, I applied wow. with my company in four different states. And this is where I got a great hit in South Carolina. I got a promotion 
back to the original job I had with my company and um, I offered for them to go with me and they declined. And I think they knew that I didn't want them to go with me. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, they declined. They said, no, we'll stay here. We're, we're too old. We don't want to move, blah, blah, blah. Okay. See ya. <laughs> yeah, you right. did not have don't to tell, tell me twice. twice. <laughs> um, the landlord <laughs> paid for my moving expenses. Nice. Since he was essentially telling us, get out. Yeah, nice. Great. And um, he, you know, he tried finding, he tried to help them find a place to live. I tried when, before I left, but he tried to f- get them a place to live and they weren't having any luck, nothing that they could afford. So, mm-hmm. and they won't live in low income housing. That's they're, they're above that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so are you out of the fog now? Are you working, work in progress? I think I can like see the light out there. <laughs> Still working on it? I I think that I'm out of it. And the reason I think that I'm out of it is because I can put a number to these. One, two, three, four, five, six. And before I had no clue. I was so clueless about my whole life. And now I have things that I know that I need to deal with. But I also know that I feel comfortable in my skin. I feel comfortable with myself as a person I don't feel lost anymore I mm. yeah I still have triggers and stuff you know where I feel like I'm not wanted or I don't fit in but but I know I know who I am and I know that I'm a good friend and that I'm a worthwhile person in myself yeah whether it's just me or not <laughs> yeah that's great so so in closing, what is one thing that you would like the adoption constellation to know? Could be adoptees, birth mothers, adoptive parents. What would you want any of those people to know about adoption? I just want adoptees to realize that whether you found out where your issues come from or not, we're not the sum of our past. Um, our past is something that we should learn from. There's a lot of lessons in there. There's a lot of lessons in mine. <laughs> um, but just have to, it's important to hear a multitude of stories because like you said, everyone has one little tidbit that's going to be for one other person. Mm-hmm. Maybe halfway around the world, but yeah. Um, the more stories you hear, and the more methods you hear, and the more perspectives you get, the more affirmation you get. Yeah. So, tell your story. If you don't want to tell it on a podcast, tell it to somebody you meet at work. Um, since I moved up here, I've met three young ladies that two of them that I trained that are also adoptees wow. and they're young. They don't see any issues with it. They're both in their very early twenties. Hmm. Um, and one is a transracial Korean adoptee, but, um, just tell it to somebody, tell it to somebody, tell it to a stranger yeah. because you never know 
who it's going to touch. But the thing is, is that the more you listen and the more people tell you things about your own life, the more affirmation you get. Yeah. I met a young lady. I was training a young lady last the last two weeks at work and she's not adopted. She's gone through some situations with her family, you know, and I was feeling blah. <laughs> but um, she said a lot of the same things to me that you said to me a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. it was just affirmation. Some people get their affirmation through church. Some people get it through support groups, through friendship groups, book clubs, whatever. But um, go and just talk to people because you never know who needs to hear it. And you never know who you're going to talk to that has something for you to hear. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the universe never lets let you, you know, hang. I mean, if you're like you said, if you start walking out of that forest, the breadcrumbs will be there and mm-hmm. it might not be tomorrow that you're, you know, totally out of the fog and just fine now. Um, it is a process and, uh, you know, and who knows if we ever truly, totally heal from it, but um, definitely just keep walking, <laughs> keep definitely. walking out of there because things are out there for you. And if you don't step out of the forest, you're not going to you're not going to find those things. Right. And it, it truly can be a blessing in disguise coming out of the fog and talking about your stories and just getting it out. Even just for yourself is so healing, not to mention what it does for other people. Yes. And the one thing that I wanted to say to adoptive parents or to people who are considering adopting, I don't know if any of them are listening, but Start therapy now, counseling therapy, whatever you want to call it. Start it now and don't stop. Don't stop when the baby is three months old. Don't stop when the baby is three years old. Don't stop when the baby is 10 or 13 years old. Yeah. Keep going because. And try and find an adoption informed therapist. Yeah. You're not raising a puppy and um, you need lessons the whole way along. (laughs) Um, because that's exactly what I just had an adoptive parent on this week for on the podcast. Um, and she was exactly said the same thing. She's like, get therapy now, (laughs) now, yeah. you know, hopefully before you adopt, because a lot of times the adoptive parents have infertility issues or other issues where they can't have children. Um, and those are things that you have to deal with as well. And then you're just going to try and slap a bandaid over it with this other child. Right. It doesn't work, you know? So, um, I, I, that's totally exactly what she said was get therapy. Is that the woman that her son is Joe and they have a podcast? Joey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I was listening to that the other day. That was another thing that reiterated what the young lady at my job was saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you listen to the early ones when he was on? Did you listen to the ones that he was on? No, I was going to go check out their podcast um, because I didn't hear the ones where he was on with you. I'm telling you, man, if you want to come out of the fog quick (laughs) as an adoptive parent. (laughs) listen to those episodes with him on there they're amazing amazing he's so smart and just so articulate and 
can just help so many adoptees. So I'm really rooting for him right now. But yeah, yeah go back and listen to those early episodes. It's just crazy. Well, Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed getting a chance to shed some light for somebody else, hopefully. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Christine, for being vulnerable and willing to tell your story on Mind Your Own Karma. I'm sure there's a lot of adoptees out there that will be able to relate to your story. Are you ready to tell your story on the podcast? If you are, please email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Let's get your story on the podcast. Let's educate the world one story at a time. All of my links are in the show notes. If you would like to find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those places, they are clickable links, so super easy to use. If you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast yet, please do so on your listening platform if it is allowed. It really helps the algorithms. It helps get the word out about this podcast, and it helps educate the world about adoption. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.